Welcome back to another episode of the RAG podcast with me, Sean Anderson, the CEO and founder of Hoxo Media. This is the show where I bring to you a different recruitment owner every single week who's prepared to tell their story of how they've gone from a startup to where they are today, the highs and lows in between, and more importantly, where the hell they think our industry is going post-pandemic. Today, I'm super excited to be joined by Jonathan Keane. Jonathan is the CEO and founder of Cognitive Group, who are an expert recruitment company who focus on the Microsoft talent acquisition and recruitment space. Um, headquartered in London with just over 30 staff, I met Jonathan a few years ago. We laughed because we also bumped into each other in the chicken shop, so we don't know which what came what came first. Um, we did some, I think we did a video for you about three years ago, um, and we always met up at the the TRN events. Um, we always got on well, so I'm delighted to have you on the show. John, welcome to the RAG podcast. Thank you very much for having me on. Not a problem, mate. Not a problem. I even put my specs on so we'd look alike today. I don't always wear them, but I, uh, I've realized my eyes are awful. Like I'm staring. I keep telling people on, because you're always on a screen now. I'm like, can you just zoom in on that? Can you just zoom in on that? And then I realized, I think it's me. <laughs> um, so I better put these back on. Um, you John. You need them for the screen. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, um, and they can—they look quite cool, I think, as well. It's all about the image, John. It's all about the image. Um, John, do us a favor. I've given you an, a, a basic intro, but give us a better overview of the business and your role as it is today. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we focus on the the Microsoft talent stack, um, everything to do with uh, digital tech hiring. But as long as there's a Microsoft platform to it. Uh, and we've built building and built teams for many of Microsoft's top. You know, consultancies, the big four, and their end customers. Yeah. Uh, we do that. Ninety percent of it is in the UK market, um, uh, a little bit in Germany, and a little bit in France at the moment. Right. Okay. You um, haven't gone on done the US move yet. We dabbled with it. Yeah. We um, we'll probably get onto this uh, in, in a little while, but we um, we dabbled with working from the east coast from here. Yeah. At the same time, trying to do this, you know, build a, a German desk and a French desk, which probably wasn't the smartest thing to do all at the same time. Uh, but we, we dabbled with it, and we're getting a lot of customers ask us, "Can we help?" You know, in a US market, at the moment we're saying we're saying no to that. Yeah, yeah. We've it's uh, we'll get onto that. Yeah, but the I literally just got off the phone to a client this morning who was telling me about a bit like so so hoxo i've i've basically taken the role recently to focus on our academy business and my business partner amma has taken over the agency business so we you know we we're effectively like co-ceos now to two businesses and i've just spoke to a, an agency that have done the same um and the way they've split it is one of them is just taking over the us opportunity because he sees the fees are just ridiculous like they said 30 this is in renewable energy but 32 and average fees i was like it's almost double what they get in the UK. I was just like, wow, um, crazy stuff. John, you founded the business circa 14 years ago. Um, I'd like to go back. So what was life like? Paint the picture. Like what was, before you started, when did you know you wanted to be a recruitment owner? Like what was the moment you realized I was, you were going to do this? It probably started with um, leaving school and working for my, my father's company. Uh, he had a blinds and security door shutter company. And um, he discouraged us from joining, you know, university. He said, why do you want to go to university? And the answer was, you know, I want to get right skills and join a big company. And he said, well, you know, I've got a 50-person company and I'll teach you everything you want to know. And there was a bit of a standoff and, you know, ran out of beer money. And eventually, instead of joining the sales team as punishment, I had to join the operations team and then kind of work my way through his business, you know, a bit of marketing and eventually was sort of running, uh, you know, significant 
portion of, of um, his sales. Um, and I think growing up in a, in a family where there's lots of entrepreneurs, my sister you know, has owned restaurants, she owns gaming companies and all sorts, you always knew I was going to do something entrepreneurial. Wow. Where, so, where, did you, where did you grow up, John? I grew up in South Africa. Um, right. My, my dad's Rhodesian, Greek, um, Irish, and my mother's uh, Scouser. So I knew at some point I was whereabouts in South Africa were you? Uh, right on the coast, a, a small little beach town. Um, wow. It was you know fairly quiet. It was beautiful. You know, great in the summers, but you know quite boring for a, a teenager in the winters. Your accent, um, you can you can hear it. I, mean, I think you told me this in the past, and now that you've said it, I can hear your accent. The reason yeah. I say it is I'm listening to Trevor Noah's book. Do you know Trevor Noah? The uh, yeah, absolutely. I literally just started his audio. I just started his audio book, Born a Crime, yesterday. Having been recommended, what and I just all I can say is wow! Like the introduction, that I just listened to Matthew McConaughey's Green Lights, and I thought that was good. The, the way he told the story was just, I just loved it. And this one from Trevor Noah, I mean, I'm learning a lot about South Africa just from the book. Like I didn't, I I, I know a bit about the history, but I wouldn't profess to know a lot. And wow, crazy. So um, okay, so you grew up in South Africa, and you're surrounded by entrepreneurs. And the business that your dad ran was a South African company, was it? Yeah, across uh, several towns, and he'd ran it for you know forty odd years. Um, and uh, yeah, that's where I learned to, to do sales. Um, you know, was was uh, a field role. So you were going to people's homes and advising them on what to buy, where, and when. Um, there was one main competitor who my dad had actually set up that business and, and sold it, right. and that became it was, it was the rivalry between the two businesses. That was always a bit of fun. Wow. And. Um, uh, I, what I, the other thing I didn't mention was I, I grew up in a, in a Jehovah's Witness household. Right. Very religious. And so one of the things that I, I knew probably from an early age is that I, I probably didn't feel as religious as maybe my family did. Right. And, uh, and was, was looking probably for, a, for an escape at some point. And so moved from living at home where you, you, know, you had all your cleaning done and everything, you know, to think about that and everything you were earning was kind of pocket money um, to, to London was quite a big move um, in 2000. Why, why London? What made you travel across the world? Um, I, I think I had, you had, you had I, the visa from your mo- You had the passport, I suppose, from your mother, right? Yeah, the, 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 ancestry, the ancestry was made it quite easy. That was sort of the, the only logical destination. And I had a friend that I'd grown up with right. uh, who was a you know, Jehovah's Witness, and he had escaped to London, so to speak. <laughs> You've got to come, you know, there's so much anonymity. You can just be whoever you want to be. And That's that, true. that I found really attractive. Um, so he, you know, his name was Ray. He helped me a lot, um, encouraged me several times over. This is what it's like. The weather's not as bad as, you know, everyone makes out. The people are amazing. There's people from all over the world. And I, I loved the sound of that. So um, I made the move and and uh, and moved into their, their house share. Where um, was it? In Wimbledon Chase, um, Wimbledon, right. a little place, Oxford, Oxford Avenue, Oxford Road, Oxford Avenue, and uh, it was their single spare room that they all used when a when a visitor came. So we had a single bed, and the the room had as much space as half of the single bed, and one small room. and a window, and that was it. It was two hundred and fifty pounds a month. What year was that? That was uh, October two thousand and two. So I went to uni in 2004, paying probably, yeah, I think in Sheffield, it was probably about the same, about £200 a month. So in London for that, and that was for like a room, a huge room. So in London, even then the prices were ridiculous, right? They're just never, they've always been sky high. Yeah, Um, they were paying six fifty, seven hundred, and I think they were having to pay their bills lower or whatever. But I, I had to keep my suits 
in Ray's bedroom in his cupboard. So <laughs> I pick out what I wanted to wear. And if I if I forgot a tie or something, I have to knock on the door. Go, Ray, are you up? Can I grab my tie? <laughs> so it was uh, a lot of fun. That reminds uh, me when I went to when I moved to Australia, we got a flat. Me, my brother, and I'm my business partner, and we moved into right next to the uh, at the Grand Prix at the Albert Park in you know the the, yeah. the Australian F1 is. I didn't realize it was there when I signed up. And then when we moved in and the F1 started and the house literally shook for three days, it was pretty cool. But my my bedroom had a window that looked into my brother's room. It was an internal room that they created. So when he turned his, if he went up, went to the toilet in the night and turned his light on, I thought it was the morning and started getting ready. <laughs> it was like the things you do when you're younger, like it was awful. It was awful. But go on, back to your story. Yeah, well, I, I'd saved up, um, working for my dad, I'd saved 1,200 quid to make the uh, the move. And I was so excited and so, I suppose, so grateful for Ray for encouraging me over and picking me up at the airport. I said, well, tonight is on me. This weekend is on me. And of course, wow. I spent 275 odd pounds of it. We, you know, we went out and ended up in a club and I don't know what else. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, severely hung over after three days and, and had his old Motorola phone and, uh, you know, the, the kind of yellow pages with sales roles and started having to, to call around looking for a sales job. Um, so that was, uh, yeah, that was interesting. And looking at the pile of washing from the weekend and you know, wondering, how does the washing get from there back <laughs> into my cupboard? <laughs> uh, I was thinking, what, am I, what have I done? Um, yeah, and, and, you know, went for, went for a few interviews, had a few jobs to, to become a field sales rep again uh, but ray mentioned that a braxis plc who he was working for which was a, a tech recruitment company right be hiring and um the sales director his wife who used to be the managing director of another recruitment company she was actually their internal recruitment recruiter and so what you'd have to do is you'd call this phone number her phone number and she'd deliberately not answer it so you'd leave a voicemail to hear what you'd sound like and then if it was good, she'd call you back. You'd have an interview. And uh, and then, yeah, started a, a journey where Abraxas and a few others, you know, offered. The one was recruitment. It felt more safe because, you know, Ray was doing it. Yeah. And, uh, and joined Abraxas. Wow. And how long were you there for? Uh, yeah, five years. Five years. Um, because I'd done sales ripping for my father, I always had a, had a briefcase. It had samples, a quote book, a pen, a tape measure. And that was kind of my safety blanket. You know, like when you're a kid, you walk around with your blankie or your teddy. Yeah. yeah that, that bag was my safety blanket. So I turned up to the interview at a breakfast with this bag. And a few other people saw it. They were like, what, what's he got in his bag? Is that just yeah. a lunch? And so this, I only found out later was this debate about what was in there. It was nothing other than a sandwich. <laughs> oh, well, I had a guy. Do you know what? At Venquist in London, I we had this guy in the team. When I first joined, he was already there. He was a character. He was basically a resourcer. He was about 20 years old, and he acted 45, talking about his mortgage and all this. He was, he was hilarious. But he had this bag. He had like a record bag every day over his shoulder. And we all said the same thing. What, what the fuck? We didn't have laptops. What's in the bag? One day, someone was like, show us the bag. He's like, no. And we're like, show us the bag. <laughs> <laughs> you could call it bullying, but he opened the bag and he had a can of deodorant and an apple. <laughs> I was like, you travel across London with a can of deodorant and an apple. He's like, yeah, well, I like the look of it. <laughs> I was like, brilliant. Safety blanket, same thing. Yeah, so um, uh, I, I, met, I met the sales director, a guy called Jake, very charismatic. Right. And him and I really got on and he asked for my story. And of course, I, I left out the bit that I was working for my family's company. Yeah, so I thought yeah. that, would, that would kind of, you know, denigrate what I've been saying. And they introduced me to the top biller, a guy called um, Jerome. 
a really nice, affable guy, super charming, um, and we got along quite well. Um, so I think he, Jake and him said yes, and the other team leader wasn't so keen and said no. But you know, thankfully, two people sort of backed me. I'm forever grateful. Yeah. That kind of started my recruitment career. Yeah, yeah. And, um, I got lucky in the first sort of three months, just beating, beating like crazy, working to the the, the VB six old technology market, and heard there was this new thing called .NET, which yeah. obviously very old and I managed to win a couple of consultancies um did fairly well and, and because I'd kind of seen Jerome what he was doing I kind of sort of go to Jerome's gym and and you know ate where Jerome ate for five quid every lunch and I couldn't afford it I was still on a kind of 14 yeah. trainee budget so I ran out of money pretty quickly and realized that you know I need to work a little bit harder but I think in the first year I finished fourth um after winning a couple how big of was the team uh 20 odd um, so it was the Perth division, the, the whole company, about 120 on, on one floor. And then uh, um, I think my second my second year I finished third, um, so the 200s. And then third, fourth, and fifth year I was I was at the top. I was incredibly competitive um, because, I, you know, as a Jehovah's Witness, you couldn't play sport. It was sort of deemed extracurricular. I played sport, but I had to play with my other Jehovah's Witness friends, two or three of them, and they, they weren't particularly you know, any good at sport. So when I got the opportunity to compete in a sales league, this was my time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there was a, yeah, so uh, Abraxas was, a, was amazing. It was a very, it was a big company, but a, a family feel, there were lots of characters. Um, you know, there was an Italian guy called Gennaro and he'd just stand up on the floor and you know, shout and there was you know, a couple of people, Richie, would sing. It was, it was really bizarre, um, but amazing, amazing family feel. Um, yeah, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh, from there that you started the group? Yes. Yeah. So I, I, I thought about leaving after four years and I, my sales director said, you know, you, you did, didn't you make a promise that you were going to beat the, the all-time perm record, which was set by a, a, a guy from Melbourne called Dave Lansfield, and now runs a, a company from Singapore. And um, he reminded me, in the, in the final year, I, I got to, to 407. Um, I, I had a team of, I think, nine or ten at the time. Um, but the the sales director, Jake, had, had then left. Um, we had sort of a caretaker leader that, they offered me a, the per manager job, and I just I felt there was there were so many layers before a decision was made, and you would hear that something's been decided, but you never you never felt like you had input. Yeah, and I I that, that reason that was the, sort of the time when I thought I'm 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 thinking about leaving, um, and do I go and join a you know a headhunting company or do I do it myself? And I, I was firmly on the headhunting. Let's let's go to the next company and find out how you you know move from doing you know fifteen grand fees to thirty grand fees. Yeah, it was a it was a guy who sort of changed the course of my career, um, Keith, um, and he had worked at Abraxas previously, been a team leader, and left to set up his own recruitment business, and then in the two thousands that business along with many others didn't make it. I think he got it to fifteen odd people, and I quite liked the fact that. You know, I was sort of confident anything could happen on the top below. Of course, I'm going to be great at this. And he was like, yeah, you've got to be a little bit careful. You know, you can think about your finances and what if your first deal doesn't come in. So the two of us sort of started having quite a few gin and tonics and talking about it. And we decided to, to do it together. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so in sort of 2006 time, we, 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 we set up Cognitive and we had a couple of names. One was Dexterous. We thought that sounded quite arrogant. But Cognitive sounded like you're developing the learning of your customer and your candidate. Yeah, yeah. That felt like you, you know, you're advising and supporting your customer to, to, to be better at the way in which they identify and attract talent. So 
um, we set off on our, our little journey. And what was the, what paint was the picture, what was day one like? <sighs> well, back in the right, bedroom for 250 again. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we actually took an offer straight away. We, yeah. we didn't think from, a, from, a, from a, um, someone's bedroom would work. Um, but we'd, we'd come from one United Kingdom house, which was breakfast on Oxford Street. We had MTV above us, you know, Barclays. Yeah. All the, yeah. And then we moved to this little office in Victoria, you know, almost looked like my bed set, two desks, nothing on the walls, tiny little window. The blind was sort of half cracked. Yeah. Yeah. Onto the, another building, that old stuff. The internet was intermittent. Um, and uh, we, you know, set up with our, our PCs. We didn't have laptops in those days. And we were like, looked at each other and we were like, what have we done? <laughs> this is terrible. It's like to call people. And you know, no one's ever heard of us. We call ourselves cognitive consulting in, in those days. Right. And started calling through the yellow pages. Um, you know, we, we had restrictive covenants like everyone else. We couldn't work with our existing clients and all those good things. And had to start doing BD. And we would look onto job boards to see who was advertising. Um, you know, there wasn't particularly a Microsoft focus, it was just is this person advertising? Does that job look good? Can I yeah. find who the hiring manager is and and BD them? And you know, we didn't have a particularly good value proposition other than you know saying we're confident we can fill it and we've got access to all the databases as you used to say in those days. Um, but we we won a few clients in telecoms and gaming, um, a couple of Microsoft partners, and and off we went. Did you looking back? Did you enjoy those days? Like, what was the what was the best part of the earliest moment you can remember in that business? I think the exhilaration of the fear. Now, I don't know if you have you ever skydived. I haven't. No, I haven't. I'll never do it again. But the fear of you could lose everything. I, you know, it's almost. I, I can imagine what a gambler feels. I don't gamble, but no, that I mean, fear of oh, I've gone from you know earning 120 grand a year, you know, breakfast with safety. I've got you know two mortgages, and I, I could risk everything. Like if if I don't hit a purple patch. This is gone. And that feeling, and it was just the two of us, and we were free to decide what we do, when we do it. That was quite exciting. Mm. Um, but had I known what it was really like, you know, after the first week of excitement, and then it becomes pressure, right? Yeah. When's, where's the first customer coming from? I probably wouldn't have done it so soon. Um, the first year's tough. We all know it. You know it. It's hard. Um, it really is, especially when you're, you know, you're not earning, you just see your, your savings going down and down and down and yeah. there's one for another. And with the best laid plans, everything costs a little bit more than you thought. And there's costs that you haven't accounted for. Um, so it, the first year was tough. You know, we, we build well. I think we, we did three, 400 grand in our first year between, between the two of us. Um, Keith sort of gravitated towards more the, the operational aspects of the business and yeah. setting out contractors and financing. And I focused on, on sales and winning customers. Um, yeah. So yeah, it, it was exciting, especially when you do your first deal and then your first deal drops out. <laughs> you know, the excitement of high fiving each other and automatically like, so we just stop working and go to the, go to the pub and celebrate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I think I spoke to someone in the first few months of Foxo, and I was like, a recruitment owner who was like a year in, and he was like, "Yeah, we don't work Fridays anymore. We don't. We don't. We just if we hit a certain amount of deals in, we just don't work Fridays." Yeah. And I was like that sounds amazing like that, at that time i was like yes i could just i can choose whether i want to go in or not yeah. um what happens is you do go in because you're like you know i've got loads to do and it, and it i think that i always i said this i think last week for me the first year was actually i didn't feel as much pressure maybe because i did something new and i was just like this absolute naive kid um year two i felt more pressure 
I felt like there was something to lose in year two. Mm. You, and you had I brought a couple of heads in, and you know we had a bit of a business then. Was year in year one, I kind of had the I was thirty years old. I just bought my house. I had a decent bit of money behind me, and I thought I can just go and get a recruitment job if if it's if it really struggles. I, I know I can do it. Um, but I was doing something new, completely new. Um, I guess you wouldn't necessarily want to go and get a recruitment job if you were already doing the same job for yourself, would you? It's like, it kind of defeats the object. Um, so you get to 400 grand in year one, which is pretty pretty good money, right? It's really good effort. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what the invoice numbers are. That was that was the new business, you know, new yeah. deals, the invoicing. Um, I don't actually recall the number. Um, did, you know, did you know then you wanted to grow head, head count? Did you know you wanted a business other than just the lifestyle type stuff? No, we'd we'd worked out that between us, once we got a head of steam, he was, you know, he'd done similar numbers to myself in, in, in his heydays. And we thought we could we could earn a significant amount of money. And my, my goal was to actually have a property business. Yeah. And yeah. To, to you know every year keep buying a property or two and letting that grow in that portfolio. And I, it, it wasn't because I, I thought that was the best investment. It's just the only thing I knew. I'd read, you know, read Rich Dad, Poor Dad as everyone Same. has. Same. promised the way to go and, and had one already and a couple, you know, another one with, with, with um, uh, a couple of family members and thought, why don't I build an empire of you know, property and recruitment such an amazing well to feed this property village. Yeah. Um, but in reality, it didn't quite work that way. Um, I had the same <laughs> thing. I literally went to the Rich Dad Poor Dad seminars like as I was leaving my job and was like, yeah, we're going to do recruitment and we're going to build a portfolio and then it was like actually and we're going to do marketing so we had three things we were going to do in january 2017 i mean it's literally absolute i didn't buy any properties i've got one and that's it I I, the, the truth is i don't think you've got enough brain power to consciously do both no. like not in the early days anyway no absolutely and that's one of the, the the bits of advice that um i got from um someone who's a, an investing cognitive and and um is, is, is still a board member was just you know focus on one thing get get your footing in one one business don't try and no. start your property businesses and everything else get this business really up and running before you think of anything else and that was probably one of the best best bits of advice i ever got from uh, from a chap called carl who's helped me immensely over many years mm. um so i think the the, the the turning point was when you could sense there was a recession coming and um, Keith was a you know, much smarter guy than I. He, he had co-written, I think, one of the only books on seahorse breeding. He was a photographer. Wow. He just had so many hobbies. You know, you, you, you'd catch him on his screen at lunch and he'd be looking at lenses that could peer around a corner with light and things. And he, he turned around, he'd gone through, a, 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 I think it was a divorce, yeah. uh, engagement, yeah. stop. It was a you know, big life event and just said, I, I, you know, I've been in recruitment for a long time and I, I don't have the, the heart for another recession. I, I really fancy becoming a photographer. And so um, we, we, you know, passed company, ended amicably and all those good things. And I think we had about 20 odd contractors out with, um, you know, Game, the high street retailer. Yeah. They had a big transformation project and we had project managers and business analysts on that with another consultancy. And so um, bought him out um, for a you know, substantial sum. And literally the week after the money hit his bank account, the client turned around and said, we're canceling the program. It was leading up to December. Oh, wow. <laughs> We, we we had four contractors left um you know when you're sitting on a big book and i know you've you've had a really big book before you you kind of get a little comfortable of course you do and, yeah and so it was, was quite a nice a nice little kick to you you need to go out and win some more business um and i think the hardest time i ever did was the year after where i worked on my own 
um, building back the business up and working out what I wanted to do. Took on a couple of, you know, advisors that I'd met along the recruitment journey at Braxis and just started to talk to them about what other people had done um, in our in our setting up of the business. Um, Keith knew Sean Zimdell from Aston Carter. I went and met him and said, you know, what what would you do differently? And his view is that I'd stay super niche. I wouldn't, you know, do broadband super niche. Yeah. You know, only 40, 50 people, but highly productive. And so um, around about sort of 2009, 10, decided to, to really grow it, um, to start growing it. And um, there was, I think one of the turning points was there was a, a chap, Steve had previously worked with me and he was at another business doing data and BI and, and he came on board and um, a, a, someone had gone through the training program at Abraxas. He was clearly one of the brightest trainees there and he joined my team and worked as, into me as a resource at some point. He was leaving recruitment, heard about that and convinced him to come and join. Um, and uh, yeah, we, we sort of kicked on from there. I'm interrupting this episode of the RAG podcast to bring you a message from our sponsor, Audro. You know by now that Audro are the number one video interview platform for recruiters around the world. Now, they keep bringing out new features from Audro Capture to Audro Producer, and it just keeps getting better and better and better. But now, recently, they've just announced a new feature to the platform, which is a complete game changer. During COVID-19, they realized that the recruitment audience the communication was changing. Globally, their clients and candidates were, were using Microsoft Teams and Zoom more than anything else. The phrase, let's jump on a Zoom call or jump on a Teams call has actually replaced the, the words video interview for a lot of their conversations over the last six months. Now, they were thinking, do we, I mean, how are we going to eradicate this? How are we going to make Audro the name that everyone talks about for, for the interview process? And they realized they didn't need to. They needed to integrate. So for the first time ever, they, they're the first video interview platform on the planet that have decided and managed to integrate with Zoom and soon to be integrated with Microsoft Teams. So with one click after recording a Zoom video, you can now drag that into Audro and create everything else that Audro has from adding the CV, the heat maps, the capture and the producer elements. You get all the benefits of Audro before and after the interview, but you get to use Zoom, which is client friendly on all levels. So this is massive. Teams is coming. It's the first time anyone's ever done it in our sector. And it is literally going to change the way you work in 2021. Get in touch with my friends over at Audro at audro.co.uk. Or if you're already a user, reach out to your account manager to make sure you've got this feature. Back to the show. Go back to that year when you're on your own, because that's a bit like a little bit like the pandemic. You know, it's isolation in, in a different form, but... What was it like back then? Because now, obviously, we've got you're on your own. You can go and work in we work. You got the co-work. You know, we work there. You work there. There's co-working everywhere. You can be on your own, but with Zoom and the connectivity, you, you know, you never feel. In some ways, we're more isolated than we've ever been. But in other ways, at least we have the digital economy around us. What was that actually like back in 2000? And was it 2008, 2009, or so when you were doing that? Yeah, the, the, the connectivity was very low, wasn't it? Um, and, and going into an office, trying to keep the same rhythm of going in, being in for you know eight o'clock, being on the phone by eight thirty, is tough. And there's this days where you you know you, you, the cricket's on and you want to see the, want to see a score, or you think, oh, I really fancy a new pair of sneakers. You know, shall I shall I go and look for trainers? Um, and I think holding that that discipline was was tough. Um, I, I didn't really take many holidays. You know, you think that. Everyone goes, oh, you work for yourself. You must be enjoying loads. I was like, it wasn't. You know, you're no. working 
harder than ever. And because you're you're delivering yourself everything you win, you've you've got to make sure that you've promised to a customer. Um, so it was it was tough, um, but I, I enjoyed it. You learn a lot about yourself, and I think at that in that junction, you realise that I don't like working on my own. I love being around people. You know, when you do do a deal or win a customer, or win more work with a customer, you want to celebrate it with somebody. Yeah, yeah. And you yeah. want to, when someone else is down, you want to be able to pick them up. And if you don't have that, um, it can feel quite isolated. Um, so, yeah, it, it, in between when, when Keith was and I was set up the business, was a chap that we'd worked with, um, and I won't won't name him, but he'd he'd set up an asset finance business on his own, and and we kind of said, why don't you come and join us? And we took bigger offices, and we we said, well, it's fine, you haven't got the cash right now. We know what it's like. We'll we'll spot you the rent for you know mm-hmm. the next. We took a bigger office, and um, and then he um. He said, oh, just my first few invoices aren't coming and we spotted him five grand before, you know, and then he disappeared. Wow. 13, 13 grand. So when, um, when, when Keith and I departed, we'd actually moved from a small office to sort of a five-person office. And I was in a five-person office for a year. On your own. Um, which was, you know, paying a lot of rent. Um, but, That's yeah. the problem as well back then. And I mean, look, there's still a lot of agencies and companies now that are tied in, but everyone was in such like, strict leases back then like yeah there wasn't, there wasn't that fluidity of contracts like we have today so it you know you've you've, you've managed to get through some difficult times there and then you say you brought a couple of people in and, and you started to kick on so take us through that journey how how linear was the growth of the business then from sort of you plus two up, upwards over the next few years yeah um there was a uh a, a recruiter internal recruiter working for one of our our, our good clients helen and we'd, we'd always hit it off and she loved, you know, sort of a quality based approach and all those good things. And she, and she was thinking about potentially going agency side and, and she joined. And so very quickly, sort of, you know, three became four, became five. Um, she won the Barclays account. Um, we won a number of other, you know, big four consultancies from Steve. And before you know, we, we had enough roles to get in a few delivery consultants. And the, the classic you win a Microsoft project at Barclays and they go, well, you've done that really well. Can you help us with this finance platform called Charles River? Like, yeah. yeah and then they say, could you help us with a Java you know, developer? And we'd gone from, you know, being quite sort of niche to eventually being all things to everybody. And when someone asked, what do you do? We'd, we'd explain all those things. And so we got to about 2012 when we'd hired, we'd had a mobile division someone who'd worked with previously and had sort of two or three people. And we had all these disparate things and we were too, too um, industry focused for, for, for a 12 person company. And it was in, I think about 2012, we decided to specialize in the Microsoft space. And that was when we started to incrementally starting to grow, bringing in people that focused on you know, the retail space for Microsoft. Um, How did you choose Microsoft as the, the one? Um, I'd love to say it was some amazing strategy and we knew Microsoft was going to do so well, but Microsoft wasn't sassy back then. Um, you know, a lot of the technologies were, were, were quite sort of office-y. Um, there were some interesting, you know, development type technologies where there were big projects for EasyJet and booking systems and things. But I think it was the, the thing that we knew the most. And you think about what makes a recruiter, recruiter valuable amongst their characteristics and their traits is who they know mm-hmm. and how willing that network is to receive a call from you, a request from you, and ask for an introduction for you. And that was the area that we knew the most. And we had a, a number of customers that we were doing, you know, ones and twos placements sort of every two or three months with. 
and started to think, oh, how could we how could we turn these into some really big accounts? And there was one particular client that was a it was a he was a business development manager at the time when we first met him, and now he's the CEO of this European company. And we worked together all these years. We you know we probably WhatsApp each other every day. Um, and just following client relationships. And I think our client relationships were in the Microsoft space. And that was the point where we started to do really well. And, you know, Nigel Frank were absolutely killing it. And so, they you, so we knew that there was more in the Microsoft market than, um, you know, than we, yeah. we might have initially thought. I interviewed for Nigel Frank in 2012 when I came back to London, yeah. when, I moved, when I moved to London, yeah. And uh, I was quite, I mean, I went to their London office. I was really impressed actually with, the the, the 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 billings they were showing me people were doing i was like wow like incredible the only thing i didn't like back then was it was a global role so you could re, you'd have to find people in germany and switzerland and but they weren't sending you anywhere so you were literally just going to be sat at your desk calling globally and where i worked in australia in melbourne was a victorian government role so i used to recruit for the government and that is a square mile of buildings so i used to spend 30% of my time in coffee shops, meeting candidates and clients. And I loved yeah. it. I loved that bit. So when I then spoke to Venquis, who were a change and transformation recruiter, and, and they said it's Lloyd's of London Market Insurance, and it's literally the Gherkin all day, every day. I was like, get me out there. And I just, I literally lived in Leadenhall Market and the, and the surrounding areas for, for, for five years. Um, so how did you, was it similar for you? Were you like the Nigel Frank model where you were all like, you'd have a project in wherever around the world because you're so technology focused? We were only in the UK. Did you focus only, on the UK? Yeah, only in the UK. Um, we came up against Nigel Frank a lot and you know they, they've done an amazing job building the Frank business. And at, at one point they, they approached us and made an offer for our business. I think where we, where we competed was on some of the big accounts. Mm. And um, uh, maybe you know, some of our relationships held quite strong and, and they thought, you know, could you come and be sort of the, the head unseen or executive part of, of the Frank group? But culturally, I think we're, we're, sort of, we're miles apart. Yeah. Um, maybe there was a silly, <laughs> looking at their growth, maybe that was a silly mistake, but mm. culturally it, it didn't feel right for, for what we were trying to build. How did you find the turning, the, the saying no to business that was outside of Microsoft to go from that? Because what you said, I've seen so many times, you're a product of your own success. You do well. They offer you something else. You're like, yeah, why not? And before you know it, you've lost your niche or you, you're just technology, which is too broad. How Bringing that back into a clear focus, how, how did that feel? Because you would have, I'm sure, had to have said no to things. Yeah, absolutely. Um it's always hard to say no to, to business, um, but then there's also that that sort of vindication at the point where you do say we 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 we've got this particular focus. I think Sky was one of our customers. They were hiring lots of data analytics people at the time. We said, look, we're not going to be able to help you to the volumes, um, and you know they were like, are you sure? You know, we're we're hiring ten people a month. You know, um, but then when you start to see one candidate that you had on a journey previously with one customer goes one candidate goes to three places. And the guarantee is that candidate's going to get two offers and they're likely going to be placed with you. And so your, your conversions go from you know, having to find four or five candidates per role to finding a candidate. And because they're in the Microsoft space, you can say, what, what are you interested in? You're interested in working for Microsoft? You're interested in working for consultancies, for end customers? Is a particular industry, technology? So you can actively advise them and they know that you know the market. So therefore, they're much likely to work with you then work with five different agencies and the other four processes, you know, you don't control. 
Yeah. So I think it's, it was difficult. And certainly for a few of the people that were working on the technologies, we said, you know, you, you can join the Microsoft, you know, focus or, you know, we'd understand if you want to leave. And pretty much everybody, barring a couple, said, I, you know, I can see the Microsoft part of the business is the most profitable. Let's, um, let's focus on it. A final interruption to today's episode to introduce Vincere. Vincere is the all-in-one CRM ATS platform built for the recruitment and staffing industry. Now, I first heard about these guys about a year ago. The amount of prospect recruitment agencies and clients I was working with that were telling me they were moving over to Vincere, I had to look into it. And what I found was a business that had a global reach um, with multiple offices around the world. So they've got this follow the sun methodology, which allows them to support recruitment businesses wherever you are and, have, and, and be in your time zone. But the technology that they've invested in um, is becoming a, a disruptor in the space. More and more recruitment businesses are, are doing this to give their, their recruiters a competitive advantage. They broke into the G2 Crowd's momentum grid as a market leader based on their reviews from their customers. So the, the agencies that are using this platform are raving about it. Now, if you're a rag listener and you're thinking about changing CRM or you're a new business looking to launch with a new CRM, then I would get in touch with, the, with these guys because if you mention that you're a rag listener, they're doing an amazing deal. By visiting www.vincere.io forward slash rag, you can get an exclusive deal which offers two months completely free on a two-year commitment or three months completely free on a three-year commitment. This applies to all licenses that you've either signed up for now or that you'll add in the duration of the contract. So get on there and have a look. Finally, if you're listening to your recruiter and you're thinking, I want to move into a more of a business development role um, and I'd like to keep hold of my recruitment knowledge. Well, these guys are recruiting for a BD person, well, multiple roles in both Sydney and London right now. So if you've got a strong recruitment background, you want to move into BD and you want to work for a fast moving tech business that's helping people like you right now, then get in touch via their website because they're hiring today. Back to the show. So how did the business grow as, as a result of that decision? What was the obvious return on that investment? Yeah, we've we reached the point from, you know, not being particularly profitable to, to getting to the 600, um, 500, 600, 700 grand profits. So that was, those were some really good years. Yeah. I suppose the years prior to that were some of my most testing when, you know, we'd taken on people, we had a massive project at Barclays, which then curtailed. And you suddenly got outgoings which exceed your incomings. Hmm. You know, dipping into my, you know, had a mortgage current account. I don't know if anybody's familiar with those, but having to dip into that twice to, to sort of fund the business, you know, that you're, you know, it's your mortgage that's online. And I, I'd sold one of um, the other property, the investment property, to, to fund some growth. Yeah. Because that was quite a scary period. And then coming into this period, we suddenly we started to, to generate, you know, five, six, seven hundred grand of the profit. And do we invest that all? In this case, I said, actually, let's keep that in the business. Let's keep that for a rainy day that we know yeah. we're never going to risk everybody's livelihood yeah. because of you know, some of the, the, the growth that we're, we're taking. Um, and we, yeah, from there, we, we won a number of big projects, um, a couple of the big consultancies that you wouldn't expect would work with a you know, small company like ours picked us because they you know, heard of our case studies with, with other you know, competitors. They love, they love the focus, right? They love the absolute yeah. focus you had. And I think that's something I've, I've realized over the years that um, clients aren't impressed with scale. You, know, you can tell them we've got offices all over the world and they go, great, you know, so how are you going to actually help me? I'm, I'm yeah. in the solution. I don't care about everything else you're doing. Yeah. You know, can you talk me through a couple of problems you've solved that are similar to mine? You know, have you hired a general manager? Can you talk through three or four examples? Have you hired a VP of consulting? Um, and it's nice when you're not 
drawing on a bit of smoke and mirrors and something else you heard, and it's genuinely a case study. And that turns to a customer going, I'll, I'll work with you, and generally at, at better fees. Yeah, yeah. That sounds – I think that that's the bit that I think a lot of new businesses or, or businesses that have been around for a while need to really think about in terms of – yeah, vanity numbers. People get impressed by throwing things around. I I, I look at people's um, LinkedIn, and and part of my 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 program and through the academy is to just really look at what people say they do on their LinkedIn. And I've got a I've got a thing where I think most people talk about themselves way too much and and share stuff that people simply don't care about on on your profile anyway. Like yeah. I, if I've got three seconds on your profile, I need to know within three seconds can you help me? That's all yeah. I care about because I don't give a shit. It sounds blunt, but I don't actually give a shit. I'm 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 really busy. I'm time poor. I've got problems and ambitions, and if you can help me achieve a, an ambition or solve a problem, I might then scroll a bit further. And yeah. it's exactly that. It, people are so selfish they're the ceo of their own company the star of their own movie if you can't solve their problem today they're going to move on like it doesn't matter what how great you look on 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 a on a global scale um i think that's i think that's a brilliant way of putting it um so growing the business then i mean over the years we talked about a bit offline so you're at 30 ish people now and I think that's a really pivotal point in a recruitment agency growth story because not many break through that not many get so to be honest not many get past 10 i think i, I told you 81% of the industry is sub 10 staff sub 1 million turnover so you've broke through that and then i've interviewed people recently that have got to 70 80 100 500 700 mm. um but there's still a huge difference i think from 30 onwards it just changes so what, how have you found firstly getting to 30 and then trying to break through that point over the last few years yeah yeah, it's, it's kind of the, the two steps forward, one back. Um, you had um, James Kahn on, on, on here a few weeks ago. Mm. And there, were, there were a couple of things that, that he said that resonated, one of which was this journey where you know you, you, you kick out from the, the teens to 20 and you get to 25 and you go back to 22 and you get to 27 and back to 25. And I think we've, um, we've like most businesses, potentially got caught in that Let, let's let's open offices in well, let's open capability in other countries because it, it sounds good now when people say what do you do and you go uh you know I've, I've run a company in multiple countries it sounds amazing but no one says well you know how productive are those people and we we got into this this instance where um just by virtue of our, our sales director he, he's worked at you know the s3 group for a number of brands he knew a couple of people one was a german consultant another one was you know working in the u.s market we bought a small company in france one person company and was all in the microsoft space and we were competing with her and our customers we said why don't we bring the business together and we'll, we'll run the delivery from 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 the uk and so we had you know the uk business which has always been the most profitable business all our key client relationships trying to set up all the administrative stuff for germany the same for new york and the same for France. It was crazy. Hmm. And um, in retrospect, you know, if I said, what would I do again? I, I would only do one of those at a time. Um, you know, what, why were we trying to, why are we trying to grow different markets so quickly? And I think that was probably ego. And I think, you know, a lot of times, um, your, is your ego, is it something you genuinely want to do because you enjoy it? Um, so, uh, we, we sold that business back to the the, the founder in France. Um, we've continued in Germany, and we've we stopped uh, during the pandemic. We stopped the the East Coast business. Um, it it never became it never was profitable. It was was um, 
sucking up a lot of funds from from the UK. So I think for our, our focus is is very much the, the UK market and, and Germany, and then there's a couple of customers also in France that we're uh, we're helping with specific assignments. Yeah, um, yeah. So that did you do you think that attention across multiple areas then actually stopped the UK potentially from getting from moving yeah. further forward than it would have? Definitely, definitely. I think the, I don't know if we spoke about this beforehand, but you know we're hearing lots of companies going to the US, and yeah. it's, it's like that sort of promised land of everything will be amazing there. Um, but sometimes, you know, with with the UK market, the market that you're in, have, how much market share have you got? Um, uh, and I look at the amount of jobs in our market in the UK market. We're, we're touching a fraction of that. So there's so much more, and how much easier it is to onboard somebody in the UK working your own market than starting a complete market from scratch. So I'm not saying it's a bad thing just because we, you know, we've had a, a couple of uh, misses and, you know, and, and one hit. Um, but I think I, I think differently about it. And when we do do it, we do it with um, an investor, not just money, but smart money. Money is easy to get, but smart money, someone who's done it before. Yeah. Um, and probably go and hire, you know, 15 people at once in the US rather than piecemeal. That would be one of the okay. learnings from from trying it and not succeeding first time. So right now, then is is it is it all UK or do you still have a, a footprint in Europe? UK, Germany, and and uh, and a bit in France, but we're doing it from the UK. Yeah, yeah, we're all together. So that- yeah, that's the other thing with the, the pandemic. Often clients in other countries would say, "Do you have offices in our country?" And now that everything is on Teams or Zoom, clients they don't care. No. So you can you can work cross border more than ever. Well, that was my next question then. So how take us back to 2020, March 2020. What was well firstly, what was February 2020 like? Because <laughs> I, I don't know, I have this weird like golden haze looking at February 2020 before we knew what was happening. And uh, and then how did it how did it all unfold for you personally? Yeah, so we, we were on course to um generate our first million pound EBIT this last year. So our our, our year started in, 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 in September. And uh, we'd had a couple of our two biggest record months, September and October, a, you know, a few good months. And then February was was a 420 grand month for us. Wow. So we were flying. And uh, we, we just, yeah, we, we were all in such a good mood. We just hit another record. People are earning well. And, uh, and of course, you know, the pandemic hit and all those good things. And it was, the, yeah, the strangest feeling where you, you don't know whether the world is going to survive. In the first few weeks, where just everything shut down. Um, and we took the decision not to uh, not to put anybody you know out on the street. You know, there were a couple of people that were on performance management decided you can't put people out on the street. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, March, April time when you knew they wouldn't find work. So we kept those people on our payroll regardless. Um, and uh, we, we kept a, a nucleus of people working. We said to everyone, you know, targets are relevant now. Why don't we use this opportunity to come out of it with much stronger relationships? So when we're calling people, contractors who are out of work, clients who are having to lay off people, let's just find out what they're dealing with. Let's just ask how we can help. In addition to that, we send mindful chef boxes to all our top clients, to our staff, just to let them know that, you know, when, when shit hits the fan, we're, we're going to look after people and put our arm around them. Mm. And I think that that really brought our team together. I think there's more unity because we were jumping on calls. You know, so how was how was your week? And everyone's like, um, I don't want to lie. I've spoken to a few people. There's there's not one job. Um, it's really difficult. You know, and, and pull the sales director trying to trying to drum up um, you know uh, excitement with people, but also saying, you know, be honest. You know, I know it's tough, and thank you very much for for just working hard. Mm. Um, 
so it was tough there was you know quite a few of the team i think if you look at the billers there's what's exciting is a number of them are all have organically reached that principal team leader stage and so they were they're experienced people but you know none of them had experienced uh, you know a, a pandemic of that nature so i think we we weathered it quite well um you know even when our clients weren't recruiting we knew they wouldn't we kept in touch with them we kept calling them, asking them about whatever else they were about, just a conversation. And they knew it was just a conversation. And we'd start the conversation by saying, we know that you haven't got any business at the moment, but just, just to let you know, I'm hearing this and I've heard actually this one's yeah, just yeah. one of and, and they'd love the conversations because they wanted the eyes and ears of the marketplace. We talk to you know, 20, 30, 50 people a week each. We know more than our clients do. And so they, yeah. they love to, even if it's you know, a little bit of gossip or a little bit of a fact, they wanted to hear that. So I think we weathered it quite well, despite our contract book sort of got cut in half there and the double whammy of the threat of, of IR35. That was, that was probably the most galling thing about the pandemic. Yeah, it, was, it came all at once, yeah. Yeah, to, to build that back up. Um, so, I mean, how, how was it for you? <laughs> Yeah, you, you, one of the first guests who's asked me that question. Uh, it was all right. I mean, we 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 went into it with a I, we had a record February, we had a rec- record month, and it was our third year third year anniversary on the fifth of Feb uh, March. So we went to this. We all came together, and Billy, my account director, was had just been to Rome on a little weekend trip, and the recommendation was that anyone who'd been to Rome could not like you should they should isolate, and we were like. It sounds really odd, but we we, we zoomed him. And was like, mate, you, we can't have you at the Christmas at the, at the at the anniversary party. And he's like, what? And I was like, mate, I can't have you there. And it, I remember he's like, I'm coming to London anyway. I've got to meet up with some friends in the evening. I was like, I'm sorry, I just. It sounds. I know it's ridiculous, but we just can't allow you to come. And he sent me like this. His his wife works for a bigger marketing agency, and they had this like, you know, what's the word? A, a memo from their business about, you know, from the Department of Health and how it's okay and all this shit. He sent me this and I said, well, I'm really sorry. I'm standing firm. That was a week before the world fell apart. And, you know, it's like we laugh about it now. Um, but the good thing was he was one of the people in my business that a few months before decided to move away from London. And we he had a two-day-a-week in London um, contract, really. He was working from home for the rest of it. I just started to work from the gym a little bit, um, only because I'd, I'd seen other people working remotely. And when you're in a creative business, it's not really conducive to have your copywriters in an office all the time anyway. So I was like, you know, maybe, you know, it's not going to be that bad. We closed the office for a bit. Didn't think I'd never go back to it. <laughs> um, and then and then I started getting calls constantly from from clients saying, Sean, you know, we had we had a lot of contracts that we had to amend and you know we dropped fees and we, we lost money like everyone um and then there was there was a moment where i was like I, I need to help more like i need i need to do something here i feel like people look up to me sometimes in industry as someone who's you know out there so i went daily with this show and i was like i'm going to bring a daily bulletin from around the world from a recruitment owner just to keep people's spirits up and find out how we're getting on and trying to get one nugget of value every day and i did yeah. six I did 65 or 66 episodes in April, May, and June. And, and I burnt myself out. I was fucking knackered. I was absolutely knackered. But it was great for me as well. Every day I was getting – I listened back to one of them the other day because it was a client that I'm, I'm speaking to now about potential work. And I was flat as a pancake. Like I was literally down in the dumps in April. I was like, yeah. welcome to the rag pug. Because <laughs> um, it was like, I didn't know what the fuck was going on, but – yeah. A bit like you, it was a bit like your thing there, you know. It was like our, it was my way of saying, you know what, 
when the chips are down, I'm just going to do my best at being out there for yeah. people. And it, look, it definitely paid off. Then I, I, I launched the Academy, which was based on people asking me, why, um, what, what you do on LinkedIn, how can I do more of it myself? I fill up the whole team. I need to get back on the BD train. So the Academy was more of a, I did some free coaching. Then I thought I could turn it into a course. And now it's a whole business unit that in April this year, just now, I have now basically taken on to grow as a separate business. Um, so in fact, it's been it's been brilliant in many ways. Um, my team is in South Africa. I've, I've got eight or nine employees in South Africa now. Wow. Never, never met any of them. <laughs> um, will do one day. Um, so the business has gone, we've kind of gone global, but more from a, a you know a fact of where talent is actually we were able to look a bit wider for our talent pool not necessarily we didn't like choose to go into certain markets it kind of came to us a little bit um so that gets me on to we talked a bit offline about the fact you're signing a we work today we've literally just signed a contract with we work for global this global pass where my team in Joburg, london manchester we're all using it or we will be next week um what what what's life like for you now, right now, as a team? And how do you see the next as we come out? Hopefully, come out of this pandemic as we as we're moving nicely forward. What what's it going to look like? Yeah, I suppose from a, from a working pattern perspective, um, right now we we're not um, uh, asking anyone to come into the office. The office is you know our office and bank is is twenty four seven. It's it's available. Um, there's a number of people who you know work. You know, from their bedrooms, and it, mentally, it's not good for them to to be stuck in a bedroom. And they use the office. You know, I think one or two times a week. Um, is one person who cannot work from home, and he's worked. I think through the whole pandemic, he's worked from the office on his own. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just he wanted. So there's people starting to trickle through into it. I'm in a different. We work today um, for a bit more focus and structure. Um, from the 17th of May, we're going to move into one day a week. And uh, after asking everybody in the company what they ideally would like as a sprint, where they're most productive, the experienced people probably feel much more comfortable working from home. Yeah, yeah. And the uh, people sort of two or three years into career wanted, you know, three, four, five days from the office. So what we decided to do was say we're going to do Tuesdays and Thursdays from the 21st of June in the office where everyone connects, experienced people, top pillars, people have just joined, you know, all the Prosecco taps, beer taps are open, the barista, everyone gets to, to connect. And then for the other 66% of your time, the other three days, choose where it works for you with your team. If that's from okay. home or you work or a different office. One of the things that I, I you know, I, I crave in my life is freedom. Yeah. And, you know, the, Gallup does that research where it says, if you want people that are highly productive, you've got to give them high, high clarity as to you know, what does the company expect from them? What does good look like? What's their role? And then the other side is high freedom. And I think that high freedom bit, along with you know, we before the pandemic, we started a, a nine day fortnight, and it was something Microsoft. I remember tried. it. I remember you announced it. Yeah, Microsoft trialed it in Japan, and it, it lifted productivity. So we trialed it in November 2019, and we we kind of just carried it on. We thought during the pandemic, our team really needed the time off, and we, to be fair, we didn't have a lot of work, so we just yeah. carried it on. And what we found since is that the team is much more rested. You know, effectively, it's 25 Fridays a year. So you're getting 45 to 50 holidays a year, which is is, is remarkable. But I think what what we've encouraged the the team to do is to say, we've got nine days to do 10 days of work. We're not going to mandate that you start earlier, finish later. Just you've got to find a way of being more productive. And if we manage you on results, Maybe some of the other stuff that we used to do just to, for KPI's sake, we don't need to do those things. And so each person's you know, got 
their, their deal generating activities as, as Osoto sets up. And the team leaders set, you know, whatever they think is their, their, their deal generating activities for their teams. And Dave's one of our top pillars, uh, top pillar, um, his team have got different DGAs to the next team. So I think that that freedom to exercise a bit of control as to what does, not just everyone's going to do 20 CVs out to interviews. One of the questions is what does our customer need? Because we could do two deals each, but if the customer's saying, I need five each, have we actually had a good month? Mm. And so some of the teams will, will flex based on, you know, our customers will hire a lot up until July and then June, you know, August, they all go on holiday. So it's that whole thing of doing doing more with your time rather than I'm going to you know, turn up on a Monday morning, sit on my desk at 8.30 and because you've seen me there at the office, you think I'm productive. Well, you can't do that anymore. And so I think, you know, where where we're going to is this the thing that in recruitment is is in short supply is is business owners and leaders have to trust their team and trust is earned yeah i think we've got to give trust before it's earned now you know before someone would say well do you want to work from home and you'd in the old days you think oh why is that what you know they're going to slack a skive now it's it's the way it is so you don't know whether you know jenny or john or whatever else is is, is working at 8 30 5 30 and you can look at all all the stats everyone's got the systems but if you're monitoring that all the time and not talking about results, you drive the wrong the wrong behavior, I believe, um, especially with experienced people. You know, everyone that's at Cognitive has worked for a big machine. They've all worked for an S3 or a Randstad or, yeah. and they yeah. joined because they didn't want that where, you know, it's one size fits all. Everybody does an hour and a half on the phone. Everybody does this. Um, so I think what, what we've experienced so far is we're finding our way, especially those that have got kids um, and have worked five days a week for all their life. They love it love it so many of them have picked up hobbies many of them are starting to this eight of us or nine of us that play golf you know at least once a month because we don't need to justify a day off we don't need to justify it to other halves because it's a friday and um, i know you know one person goes for lunch with with all her friends once a month and doesn't have to take a holiday another one says i just love to do life admin so that i can have an actual weekend so they do life admin. Okay, and, okay. how much holiday do you give them on top of that uh, tw- 25 is standard, and then depending on um, uh, length of service and or um, seniority, you get extra. So some people are 25 plus the, the Fridays. Yeah. Incredible, yeah, so isn't it? Yes, yeah, so it's, it's, it, it works out. I think, I think it's, 20, so it's 23 at the baseline and then works up from there. Um, and how many – I mean, so productivity-wise, since – I know you've had the pandemic, so it might not be as easy to, to track yeah. it. But, like, have you genuinely seen – positive or negative effect on on productivity per head based on the the, the nine-day fortnight yeah it's difficult to say because of the pandemic i wouldn't say we're now massively more productive because of course the market's now bounced and we're doing some crazy numbers and so you can't attribute that to just the nine-day fortnight mm. and i don't think we're, we're we're any less productive if i look at our, our outputs we're probably doing the same of course, now the market's bouncing. We're, we're doing some crazy numbers. But what I'm seeing is, is people are more well rested. You, on, a, on a Monday morning, people are like, another week. It's just like, yeah, I've, I've just had a three-day weekend. I'm, I'm up for it. Let's make things happen. And I think that balance of it, it feels like there's a bit of a societal shift where people don't want everything to be about work. And the weekend is a time just to literally relax and grab a you know, cigar and a glass of whiskey to recover from what's just happened the last five days. Um, so I think finding that blend of people that have world record amounts of time off 
to produce world records amounts of productivity. And I think, you know, if we did this in, in a year's time, I'll probably be able to give you really specific stuff. Well, yeah, I want to, let's do that. I mean, I think, I think there was the guys in, um, down in the, uh, in, in Brighton, what's the no. name? David, what's his name? He did the four. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I spoke to him before we did it. I just said, you know, does this work? Is it MRL? They, they were the first, weren't they? They just did, I think yeah. it was, was it the four day week? So it's not like nine, eight, four, and I did it every week. Um, and and they, he said it went up and he, you know, it went viral when he promoted it. And there's a couple of other brands that have done it. Um, Nicholson, John Nash, they were, they were actually the first, I think, to do it. Um, yeah. But I, I think once we come out of the pandemic, and, and it is, and hopefully the pandemic is almost like behind us, it's not there yeah. yet then it's going to be like, right, you know, flexibility of where you work, how many days you do. One yeah. question I have got, though, when it's busy like now, when you know you've got to make hay because there's roles yeah. coming out of every angle, do people still take that day off or do they do they, do they, do they choose to work it? Yeah, it, there's, a, there's a bit of a gray area there where we, we don't force anyone to do that. doesn't matter how busy they are. But, our, you know, is our, is our world about us or does our world start with our customer? Mm. And so what we've said is, if, if our customer needs us to set up a couple of interviews or be available for interviews, or we need to process a contract on Friday, our operations team will flip between the different Fridays. I've got a new business client call, uh, an existing client, but they're looking for you know a, a senior role, and I'm helping somebody on on Friday. I've got a couple of calls. I do a couple of calls. I don't mind if I'm you know if, if I'm on a tennis call and I've got to check my email. Fine. If I'm on a golf, yeah. call, sure. Um, you know you could, so uh, there's this one consultant principal, and he 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 prefers to just. He just agrees that he just works a little bit less through the other week and he's he's doing some crazy numbers. But he wants the freedom to work on the big things rather than you've just always got to be at your desk at 8.15. Mm, yeah. Um, what about the so, trainee model? Are you are you ignoring, are you avoiding those real trainees then and, and yeah. choosing to bring people yeah. that have already been trained elsewhere? Uh, um, uh, this, model, this, this, this amount of flexibility doesn't suit um, people who, who haven't. I think what's great about the big machine recruitment companies is they teach you a work ethic that you've got to put a certain amount in. So you don't want to be teaching people to work. You want to teach them how to work, how to work better. And I think that's the, you know, the one year to two years is probably our, our baseline. Um, That'll be probably a factor as well as of why it's more difficult to get those numbers because, you know, you're looking for a, a very attractive, very difficult talent pool there that, you know, Everyone wants a eighteen month biller. Like the, when I came from from Australia to London, I think I was like you know the perfect guy who'd done. I think I had twenty contractors out. I was leaving it all. I had no covenant. I was twenty six. I was moving to London. I had no money in my pocket because I'd spent it all on the way back. <laughs> I was literally like, but I had that. I had enough knowledge of the contract market of BAs and PMs, and you know, and and. I did really well, but there isn't that many of those people out there. Like if you wanted to get a graduate model in and you hire 50 a quarter and you, you know, you're churning through it, I can, that's where, when you get that organic ability to scale, that's the people I've interviewed have always, the, the ones who've got the bigger companies have always yeah. typically gone down that route. But it doesn't mean that what I love about these conversations, people like you, like it doesn't have to be that it just because Alexander Mann did it doesn't mean you want to do it and there'll be other guys that are really happy being three people and that's okay like yeah. this stigma that lifestyle businesses are like you know it's a bad thing you know it's a what's the word it's a substandard version i, I don't think it is i think it, it doesn't matter if that the one thing i think about smaller brands when i meet them in recruitment is they tend to be a bit more chaotic they can tends to be a bit more when you talk to the owners they tend to be a bit more stressed they tend to have a little bit 
you know, they're properly running the hamster wheel themselves. Um, I think if you can keep it, I think if you can keep it to three to five or whatever, but you work out actually how much business do I want? Can I handle? How many hours a day can I do? Oh, if you can, and, and then what parts of the job could I outsource or give to? You could have an amazing business at three to five, yeah. but too many, they take too much on at that smaller scale, I've noticed. Yeah. Um, so what what is the future for you, John? Like if we look ahead, where, where are you heading? What's the... Um, Last question on this stuff. Where, where, where do you see your your future in an ideal world? Yeah, I, I personally feel completely revitalised. You know, the last eighty years, if the pandemic was the worst year, this has definitely been the best so far. Wow. Uh, I think for the next the next five years, I, I believe it's going to be a a real purple patch in the recruitment, especially in the tech and digital space. So mm. I'm excited to see where we can grow the business to. Um, I think a priorities is, is around profitability and, and you know, getting us back to a, a million pound run rate and then maybe the year two, three, so the two, two and a half million. So that's what I see over the next three years. Um, I think the exciting bit is we've, we've got a number of principals, I think five, five to seven people who are at the principal and are now naturally in their career saying, I'm ready to build a team. Yeah. I think at that point now where you can absorb a couple of people who are trainees because they're working with one person. Yeah. And that person's going to build them, mold them, shape them in there. So, so if we could build, you know, five, seven pods teams other than what we've got, plus we've got um, uh, a head of cloud role for the UK, a data and BI role for the UK, looking for leaders, and then potentially someone to, to head up our European contracts team. So those are the, out, the external leadership capacity we'll hire. And I think that over the next three to five years will, will comfortably take us to, to 75 people. I'm not bothered about the number. I want our team to be well-rested, earning in a couple of quartiles of income in the UK and like many of our team who've uh, you know, got married, bought their first house, building their families and thriving, I, I want to create as much as that's possible for the people that have joined us, the new you know, associates and, and consultants who joined us over the pandemic. I think we, we owe it to the people at Cognitive First yeah. rather than yeah. just you know, letting your ego get ahead of you and doing things that I've done in the past and <laughs> I'm determined not to make those mistakes again. I know, but, I know. I know exactly how you feel. And I think it sounds it sounds awesome. We we took five. We started with we had five new starters yesterday. We have a people manager now. We um we have this like onboarding playbook, which is built in technology where people can watch videos and learn about the business. And it's amazing to think, you know, we're at that point. We think we're 29 at Hoxo now. And I was like, it's amazing. But the the bit that you just said that mattered, that really resonated was, you know, you want your people to be well rested. You want your people to enjoy it. Like I said, I've got a performance coach I spoke to last night and he's like, you know, what do you think? Like what matters the most to you about this? And I was like, it genuinely is the people that have got to enjoy it. Like they've got to enjoy it. Like the, the last thing I want is the most profitable, well-known brand that my staff hate working for. Like, I just... Yeah. I'd rather not. I'd rather earn less money and have a, I don't know. I just, it really isn't about, to me, it's, if you've got people that genuinely love coming to work, they feel like they're respected. They feel like you care. Like the rest can happen. You know, it'll, it will happen. Hopefully it'll happen. But, but that, that's an achievement within itself. Mm. Makes sense. But, so what you, you strike me as a, as a, as a really intelligent bloke and, Really, someone who's but someone who thinks about you, you. You've mentioned a lot in this episode. I think you think about the dynamics of growing a company and being a leader. Where do you get your inspiration or education from? What type of publications? Is there anything you listen to? Anything you've read that you could recommend for the listeners? Yeah, um, 
I'm, I'm forgetting his name now. Put me on the spot. I could probably chuck it into the, the chat later. Um, there's a couple of US podcasts I listen to, um, people yeah. who coach um, CEOs. I listen to things from Tony Robbins. I listen to yeah. Michael Pollan's book on changing your mind and uh, what he's done. Um, I'm, I'm forever listening to, to podcasts. I, I read The Economist every week. I read Money Week. I'm, I'm a ferocious reader, and I've always been like that. And I just, if anyone is listening, that um, I think just every day when you're scrolling football pages or the news is try and convert that negativity into to reading something. Try and read for 40 minutes a day. Read before bed. Yeah. Um, yeah, so um, I can't think of anything, any books right now, which is crazy. Um, I will, I'll drop a couple in there. Um, no, but that's fine. I mean, you, look, the fact is you're, you're reading, you're trying to better yourself with your reading rather than just, you know, brain dumping yourself with with the latest crap on online well yeah, one of the best books that I've, I've, I've read um was money or your life by vicky robin um and um the simple path to wealth which really changed my perception on what what is wealth right. and your relationship with money and what do you need to be happy yeah versus what do you need to feed your ego and since i've read those books um that was in sort of lockdown last year i've just before I've, I've really changed my my feeling about that intensity i've got to, i've got to grow got to grow got to do something bigger got to keep growing it it's got it's got to, every year and it's that that pressure that you put on yourself that it's just it's it doesn't exist and no one else is putting that on you you feel like everyone's watching though don't you You feel like there's other people somewhere in like a room going he's not growing quick yeah. enough we're gonna yeah. beat him like that's really? how I feel. I feel like i've got some monkey on my shoulder going you're not doing as well as you could, you know. There's someone out there, they're going for you. And you feel like, I completely feel it. And it is a totally an internal thing. Even for this podcast, you know, listening to the people you've had on here, you know, 75 people, 100 people, 250 people, I was thinking, well, why, why do you want to talk to, to me? You know, I'm not, I'm not in that league. We're not trying to be the biggest. We, we're trying to be the best, but, you know, we're, we're not the, the grand scale. We haven't got, you know, grandiose ideas about how big we can get it. Um, so yeah, no, I'm pleased to. You've got so much value to give, and you have given, John. Like you, it isn't about the biggest day. I think you've got a great business. I loved working with you in the past, and I think, um, you know, I think there'll be so much value people can learn from you, both through this and and through connecting. Final question: What do your family in South Africa think of your decisions that you made, leaving and coming to the UK, and also starting your own business in a world that was very different to what you know you could have stayed and carried on in that space? What what do they think? It's a really touchy subject because um, when I left the church, you, you get excommunicated. Right. So, uh, once I moved to London, we kind of had our last conversation. Um, really? And we, we were allowed to, well, they're not allowed to talk to you when you're disfellowshipped. It's part of the religion. So uh, you're allowed to speak once a year, generally. And if their health is bad and has been bad, we're allowed to, to text, you know, every few months. And, and wow. funny enough, yesterday, the 4th of May is their, was their 53rd wedding anniversary. And so we, we had a WhatsApp conversation and myself and, an, and another older sister, the other entrepreneur, she's also disfellowshipped. So the two, the two of us, the black sheep, we're really close. But, you know, my, I, my, I don't have any view on whether my dad thinks he's I've, you know, built the business successfully. For him, he just wants us back in the church. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think getting the validation from dad and mom is, is never going to happen. And coming to terms with that is, is very hard. Very I hard. bet. I bet. Well, 
I'd definitely like to do another episode and talk to you more about that kind of stuff as well. It's not all about business, but we have run out of time. Thank you, John. Thank you so much for your honesty, for your insights, for your knowledge. Um, if anyone has listened and thought, you know what, I'd love to just reach out to him and ask some questions. Are you open to a chat with people? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, LinkedIn's probably the best. I'm, I'm yeah. normally on that. I'll tag you on, I'll tag you on everything that goes out. So guys, yeah. thank you, John. And thank you for listening. Anybody who's listening back, um, I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you've taken a lot from today. I ask every week, if you do and you think there's someone in your network that John's story would resonate with, please share it. Get it out on WhatsApp, text, email, however you you can, because um, together I genuinely believe this industry, I love this industry. You know, It's got such a, an interesting dynamic of people. It gets such, such bad press, but people don't really know what's going on. Once you get to know the people, I actually think putting competition aside, we're much stronger when we learn from each other. And that's what the, the point of this show is. Um, I'll be back again next week. I've got some amazing guests lined up every Wednesday. We're going to be running this season until um, the beginning of June. So we, we might have a little break um, after the beginning of June, but we've got, I think, four or five episodes that are going to take us up to the end of season four. So I'll be back again next week with another episode. In the meantime, you stay safe and I'll see you soon. This podcast is brought to you by Hoxo Media. We are the world's number one inbound marketing agency exclusively focused on helping the recruitment industry. Myself and my business partner started the business in 2017, having been recruiters for seven years before. We felt that the recruitment industry back then needed to change and that marketing was going to play a huge role in the way that new and existing recruitment organizations won business and stood out in such a crowded marketplace. In three years, We've now worked with over 200 organizations around the world. We reach a huge audience with both this podcast and content online. And we have over 55 recruitment agencies right now. We're managing the marketing for. So that involves strategy, content creation, distribution, systems process, and leads generated. Having been recruiters and marketeers, we can not only build your brand, but we're also able to connect it to your sales team and ensure that leads are generated as a result of marketing. There's a clear ROI that leads to sales activity. But we also understand recruitment businesses. That's small businesses, medium-sized businesses, large businesses in all sectors. We understand you, we've done the job, and we can build campaigns that are super relevant to what you need as a business right now. We've also recently launched the Hoxo Academy, which is designed to help recruitment owners, recruiters and marketeers learn from the work that we do so that you can action some of this stuff in-house on your own. The Academy has been launched in May 2020 and has already had an amazing uh, response from the market and it's only going to grow one way. So if you're interested in either having Hoxo support you build your marketing as a, as a supplier that acts as part of your team or you want to be trained by us on how to do it yourself, then get in touch. Visit www.hoxomedia.com and register your interest on our homepage. We will then get back to you within 24 hours and arrange uh, an introductory call. Thanks again for listening to this show. Every single one of you means so much and we will see you again soon.